Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you with us as we continue our series, When God Doesn't Make Sense. This week, Lead Pastor David Fossilt has us looking at what life is like in a lesson titled, When God Seems Late. As we look at the story of Lazarus and his family, we're reminded that a waiting season is never a wasted season. Listen as Pastor Dave helps us see that God's delays are not necessarily God's denial. And then we're challenged that in the middle of our waiting, we should trust and follow God in spite of any doubts we might have. Sorry about that. My bad. <laughs> Grab your study guide that's in your program. I haven't done that in 25 years. That's awful. Weird. Uh, John chapter 11. John chapter 11. That's on page 1076. We are in the middle of a series called When God Doesn't Make Sense. Uh, to, this morning we're talking about when God seems late. <laughs> See what I did right there, right? See, I, you didn't really think something had happened. How many of you thought actually something serious happened in the back, right? No, no, you didn't. How many of you good Baptists thought the rapture had happened and maybe you missed it? <laughs> Some of you are like that, right? I, I wait, you wait for 15 seconds. And I was watching some of you. There's a little crack between the curtain. Some of you are like, what, what kind of Yahoo church we got going on right here, right? Some of you are getting visibly, visibly frustrated. What is happening, right? 15 seconds. Today we're talking about waiting. We don't like waiting, do we? Be honest, we don't like waiting. I actually Googled things that we don't like to, top things we don't like to wait for. It, you know these, right? We, we don't like to wait at a doctor's office. We don't like to wait in line at the DMV. We don't like to wait for a, 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 a couple to quiet down their loud baby, especially if they're at the theater. You know, we don't like to wait. How about this one? You don't like to wait on the car in front of you when the light already turned green. Go, 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 go! You know, we'll give them like a, a 1.5 seconds and then we'll start honking the horn, right? We don't, we don't like waiting for our food to show up. But with all the flying I've been doing lately, you know what I've noticed? People don't like waiting. After the plane has landed and it stopped and everybody get up and they have their, their, their carry-ons, right? Everybody's in that aisle, right? What is going on? What is taking so long? We don't like that. You like, how about this? You like waiting for your spouse, waiting to get out of the house? Don't twitch. Don't move because this could be some marital issues right there. We don't like to wait. Now, some of what I just mentioned... Some of what I just mentioned, it really honestly has to do with some of us learning to be a little more patient. What I'm really going to talk about this morning is we're going to talk about things that are much more significant, much more serious when it comes to the health of our soul. Things like, for example, you saw it on the screen, the little video that we start out with, waiting, waiting to get pregnant, waiting to conceive. You've been married for a couple years, you want to have a baby, and you can't get pregnant. Right? You know what makes it worse? Is that you always have a friend that's popping out kids left and right, right? You can't get pregnant, they're popping out kids. Or how about this one? Someone uh, gets pregnant and you hear they don't even want the kid. That, hurt, that hurts. It hurts for you too. I want to, you know, we don't like that. How about, how about waiting for a financial break? How about waiting for a career change? I can't stand my job. I get, I get visibly stressed, even sick sometimes. On Mondays, just before I have to go to work, I don't like my job. I'd be willing to take something less pay, but I, I can't stand it. And I can't find something else that'll that'll fit for me. How about how about waiting for the doctor to come up with an answer to why why you have the health issues you have? It's not easy, is it? It's not easy. How about waiting? How about waiting for one of your kids to come back to the Lord, or just to get their life back together because it's all jacked up now. It's hard to wait. Waiting to find a house, waiting to sell a house. I mean, I could go on and on and on. Here's the reality. There are many of us here right now, we're waiting on something. And, and in the midst of the big thing, not the traffic lights, but the big thing, when we're waiting for God to do something, right? We're not allowed to say this, but let's not let this get out. Let's just keep this between us, right? We start to wonder, what the heck is God up to what is he doing? Why isn't he acting now? Now, If he doesn't do something now, uh, he's going to be late and I'm going to miss my train. And some of you right now are waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. 
And, and it's in the midst of those waiting periods, for many of us, we start to, you know, wondering, God doesn't make sense. And in this series, we've tried to be really honest with some of the things that we wrestle with. And, 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 and I told you last week, this series can really help you in your faith journey. But if you're honest, it, it might leave you a little bit kind of in the middle and frustrated because we can't get to the end yet. Right? If you weren't with us last week, we talked about what, what do you do when God seems like he doesn't care? Right? I got all these issues. It seems like he's blessing everyone else. I'm, like, I'm not getting anything. What do, what do we do when it seems like God doesn't care? And we talked about this idea that just because God is silent does not mean God is absent. Now, this was big for many of, of us last week. If you weren't here last week, jump on and listen to the podcast because it was an interesting and powerful story to look at. John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, he's going through all kinds of garbage. Jesus doesn't seem to care. What do we do in those situations? To today... We're, we're going to talk about what do we do when God seems to be late and we're waiting on God. And, and this is the, the main idea. If you're going to write anything down, this is what I want you to write down. Let's put it on the screen. With God, a waiting season is never a wasted season. With God, a waiting season, whatever you're waiting on, is never a wasted season. Okay? Now, if you look at your study guide, I don't have any other blanks other than this. Last week, I didn't have any blanks because my flight got in too late to get it to the office. This week it's a little different. I have so many things, I didn't want to clog up your notes. I got like 10 different points for you to write down. Here's what I do know. God didn't bring you here this morning to listen to 10 different points. He brought you here for probably one, maybe two. Okay? And, and so I guess I, what I want you to do is listen for that one thing. What's the one thing or the two things at most that God brought you here to hear? Right? And to digest. And it's a process, okay? And write that down. John chapter 11, page 1076. I do not have the verses on the screen. So grab your phone, pull it up. There's too many verses. We're going to read through this situation. It's the story of a guy by the name of Lazarus that dies. And you're going to see very quickly that the frustration is that Jesus, who could solve the problem, seems to be late, right? Verse 1, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus was now sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with hair. So the sisters, they sent word to Jesus. And here's what they said. Lord, the one you love is sick. Interesting the phrase they sent, right? I don't know. They sent them a Facebook message. They sent them a text. The one you love, they don't even mention his name. The one you love is sick. Why don't they mention his name? Because, because they're so close. When you read through the Gospels, many commentators say that Martha Mary Lazarus was the closest friends Jesus had other than the disciples. Every opportunity he can, he's swinging by Bethany, stopping off at their house, having a meal, playing pool with them, whatever he does with them, he's always going to their house. He likes these people, right? And, and, and so, so they don't even have to mention his name. He's your best friend. He's your, your best friend's not doing well. We don't know what it is. But he's really sick. Now, if you're Martha and Mary, and we try to put ourselves in their situation, initially you might think, we got this one in the bag. We got this. We got this. Because, you know, Jesus is all in the countryside, gallivanting around, healing people left and right. Goodness gracious. I even heard that he healed a Roman. We don't even like the Romans. If he's healing all these strangers and even Roman soldiers, I certainly we got this one because he likes us. If he's going to heal anybody, it's going to be his best friend. Right? And, and so that, that's kind of how it starts. You, you start with this idea that we, we got this one, right? We're part of God's family. Right? If we obey God, he's going to take care of us. We talked about this I idea about what Christianity is to so many of us. The story goes on and Jesus sets the context of how he's going to handle this. And how he's going to handle your situation you're waiting on. This is important. Verse 4. When Jesus heard about this, he said, the sickness will not end in death. Stop right there. If you look, you see the title at the top, we know he dies. So right away, now I'm starting to get a little ticked off, or at least confused. But what do you mean it's not going to end in death? I know he dies. The title tells me so. This is not going to end in death, he says. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified to it. So this word glory or glorified 
is emphasized. Now, I've mentioned this to you before. I don't think I've ever put it on the screen. This is important that you understand what does it mean to glorify God. If you notice, glorify means to enhance God's reputation. God is already good. He's already strong. He's already all-knowing. You can't change God, but you can change people's perception of God. You can change his reputation. You see, in this room, we pretty much all agree pretty much on God. We pretty much believe what this book says about God, right? But what we do on Sunday morning is more the second one. It's worship. It's acknowledging the, God's character. So technically, in church, we worship God. Outside of church, we glorify God. It's not until you go back to your family, back to your work, back to your school with people who don't believe this book and don't believe about God like you believe, that's when you start to glorify Him. Because as you live your life out, as you do certain things and don't do certain things, say certain things, don't do, say certain things, as you handle yourself in a difficult waiting period, people's perception about God, His reputation begins to change in their minds. You start to glorify Him. Now come back to the story, go back to your situation, you're waiting on God. Here's one thing you've got to understand. God's primary purpose is not to fix all of your problems. I know, it sounds like the Holy Spirit's working over here. That's all right. Just go to the prayer room afterwards. We'll help you out. That's not his job. He's got a much bigger chessboard that he's working on. It's called the kingdom of God. And one of his priorities is to bring glory to the Heavenly Father. And the one way he does that... Occasionally, is he makes us wait on certain things so that in how we're handling ourselves, we impact other people's perception about God. Does that make sense? Now, you may not like it, but you at least need to understand that. His job is not to fix your problem only, but to change their perspective. He's not going to just uh, reveal his character to you. He wants to use you to enhance his reputation. This is critically important. Because if you can't get past this, so much doesn't, doesn't make sense. He's got a big chessboard, and you're not the only piece on that chessboard. Now, verse 5 and 6 begins the rub. It begins the waiting. Verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister... And Lazarus. So, so right now, this verse is going to contrast quite a bit with the next verse. By the way, just insert your name in there. He loves you like he loved them. He likes you. Okay? So you start from that oper operating idea, which then begins to confuse us. Because in, in verse 6, if he likes me, and he loves me, and, he, and if he's best friends with Lazarus, then why verse 6? Yet when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick... He stayed where he was two more days. Say what? Your, your best buddy is sick. He's not doing well. We think he might die. You know what? I, we know you're busy. We know you got these speaking engagements. But why don't you let Peter or one of the other disciples, why don't you let them do the preaching? And, and everybody will understand if you run back to see Mar Mary and Martha and Lazarus. No. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay where I'm at for two more days. Here's one of the first things you might want to write down. God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. God's delays, not giving you what you want, does not necessarily mean God's denial. He's not saying no. What he's saying is wait. And again, maybe it's just our culture. Maybe it's who we are as people or our personality. We don't like to wait. Right? Especially something that's important for us. You know, if I put myself in Martha's shoes, think about those two days. Okay, all we got to do is let Jesus know that his, his best friend is sick. Let him know he'll be right here. Day number one goes by, he's not here. What the heck's going on? Day number two rolls by, he's not here. What, what's happened? Maybe we're not as close as I thought we were. And you start to feel the panic. You start to feel the stress. You start to feel, oh my goodness, if, if Jesus doesn't show up, we're in trouble. Lazarus is in trouble if he doesn't show up. We're not asking a lot, Jesus. I mean, we know we got your deal. 
That if you could just, you don't even have to pray. We've heard of you just touching people and they get healed. In fact, didn't we hear about one Roman soldier and his son? You healed him from afar? You don't even have to show up. So what's going on? You're healing everyone else. You're not healing me. You're not taking care of, of me. I, I don't know how else to explain it. But, you know, we talk about God's timing. God's timing, right? And, and trust God's timing. Well, now you take that theological principle and apply it to your life. Do you or don't you trust God's timing? I'm not asking you if you understand it. I'm asking you, do you trust it? Right? You, you don't go up to a, a pregnant woman that's six, seven months pregnant. By the way, I never acknowledge it. If you're pregnant, I will never acknowledge it because as a young pastor, I made the mistake of saying, oh, when do you do? I'm not pregnant, and I will never make that mistake ever again. <laughs> never. It can look like you're going to give birth in between services. I will not acknowledge that. Right? By the way, if you do need to give birth between services, we prefer that area because we've got donuts over here. So I'm just telling you, I don't know why I'm talking about this, but um, let's get back to the story. Let's pretend there's a woman six, seven months. You don't go up to her and say, PUSH! You're an idiot. Why would you do that? You don't tell her to push at seven months. It's not ready yet. You wait till month number nine, and then only after the contractions start happening, right? Sometimes the timing's just off. You don't go pick a pear or apple that's not ripe. Well, you can. Take a bite of it. How does it taste? It's... It's not ready yet. It, it's, it's not ready yet. And so, I, I know you need something from God. I know you're waiting on Him. And I can, all I can tell you right now is I, I need you to trust and I want to encourage you to trust His timing. I don't, I don't know what's happening. I can't figure it out. Here's another thing that comes, I think, from this passage, from this verse that I think is, is significant, is that you need to understand that sometimes God wants to do something in you before He does something for you. Does that make sense? His priority is actually to do something in you before He does something for you. His priority is not to change and transform what's outside of you. His priority is to change and transform what's inside of you. And there are times, whether you like it or not, it's the best way to change and transform what's in you is to occasionally allow what's outside and around you to kind of crumble a little bit. Like it or not, he can use that to make us stronger. But this is an important principle. Okay? He wants to do something in you so often before he does something for you. Verse 11 through 15 Jesus has a, a, a play on words, right? And, and, and I have it on the screen for you because, because I just want to quickly synthesize and highlight for you what he's doing. Verse 11. Ah, he says to his disciples, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. He's just taking a nap, right? Which right there, that could be offensive to someone if, if, it's, if it's your brother, if it's your parent, if it's your kid. Say what? You said what? You said what about them? He's just falling asleep. I'm just going to go wake him up. This must be code for, they don't have a word for coma back then. That, that must be what's going on, right? He's in a coma. God's going to show up. He's going to help him out. The disciples, verse 12, but what if he's just taking a nap? If he's just sleeping, he'll get better, right? So you see their confusion there. That We're told in verse 13, they thought that Jesus was talking about natural sleep. And then in verse 14, he basically looks at his disciples. He says, you guys are a bunch of morons. I told you plainly, and I mean, Lazarus is dead. And the conversation ends, and one of the disciples is like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I, I thought he was taking a siesta. I don't, I'm sorry, my bad. And he has this play on words between sleeping and between dying, and sleeping and between dying, and sleeping and between dying. I came across this one article. Let me just read to you one paragraph from it. On March 19th, a resident at an extended care facility in British Columbia, Canada, died. The medical personnel placed a call to Fraser Health Authority, who sent a driver to pick up the deceased woman and take her to the hospital morgue. Unfortunately, the driver failed to check the wristband for identification and carried off the wrong woman. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, the 87-year-old resident he wheeled away was simply sleeping. Even after, driver, even after the driver left her on a gurney in the hospital's corridor, she was still fast asleep. 
Eventually, the mishap was rectified, but only after the woman woke up in the morgue, quite surprised and very confused. Do you think? Huh? You wake up, you're like, where the heck am I? You know what would have been more confusing? If you're working at the morgue and someone sits up on you. Now, that would freak you out right there. I heard this story, and it made me think of this, this passage right here, John 11. Is she asleep, or is she dead, or is he dead? What, what the heck's going on here? And, and what Jesus is doing here is he's trying to stretch you intellectually and theologically. He's basically saying, listen, once you're part of the family of God, once you're in Christ, once you've given your life over to him as Savior and Lord, you need to put on a new pair of glasses as you look at death. You can't look at death, you can't fear death, as the world does. You have to look at it differently. From our perspective, death is more like Jesus was saying, it's like taking a nap, sort of. You know, death is the end of life. Sleeping, taking a nap, it's the continuation of life. Death, it, it's final. It's the end of strength. I don't have any more strength, I die. But, but sleeping, it's, it's the recouping of strength, right? I take a nap, I feel a little bit better. As a Christian... Right? You have to look differently, feel differently, have a different perspective when it comes to death. Right? Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 15. He says it this way. Let me show you what I mean. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. Thank God. God gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to fear and think about death the way we used to. Now, I, I do like what Billy Graham said about this. I, I Super, I think, wise in his perspective on death. He's getting quite elderly. Let, let me show you what he said. Uh, he said, I don't fear death, but I may fear a little bit about the process. Now, that's pretty honest, don't you think? That, that's basically saying, listen, I know what's going to happen to me after I die. But if I'm honest, I, I, I'm not looking forward to the process of death. It's why those of us who have loved ones that are getting to the end, we want them to, quote, pass away in their sleep. That's what we want. Why? Because the last stages of life aren't always nice. And, and, and Billy Graham's going, I don't know. What's I mean, am I going to have a heart attack? Am I not going to be able to breathe? Is it going to be painful? And it's very fair to say, you know what? That part I'm not looking forward to. That part, I'm a little bit apprehensive about, right? I don't fear death. I may fear a little bit about the process, but not death itself. Because the moment that any spirit leaves the body, I will be in the presence of the Lord. Guys, this is a pretty big deal. And I chose this passage on purpose because what, what derails so many of us in our faith is the death of a loved one. And oh, you wish I could move on quickly. But you see, for me to really help you, we got to spend a little bit of time here. In verse 17, it starts to get personal. In verse 17, it says, um, On Jesus' arrival, he found that Lazarus had been in the tomb four days. Four days! Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to, confront, to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. And notice what she says. But Lord, Martha said to Jesus, can't you almost picture her with her hand on her hip pointing at Jesus? Lord, uh, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. If you hadn't been late, this wouldn't have happened. But then very quickly she adds, But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Here's one thing I want you to write down. Spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is believing that God is good. Believing that His Word is true. Even when you're in pain. Even when your world has caved in. And even when you're waiting on God to show up. That's spiritual maturity. To believe that God is good and His Word is true, even though my life is falling apart and I'm in pain and I'm waiting for God to do something. Four days. Four days. Not four days that he'd been sick. No, no, no. Four days after the funeral. He didn't even shop for the funeral. Oh, no, no. See, I know you're busy, Jesus, but you're just in Santa Cruz. It's just an hour and a half. It's just an hour and a half. You're right here. I thought we were close. He doesn't even show up for the funeral. 
You know, one of the things that really, it really grates on me. I, I, I very rarely say anything because it's never the right time. But it, it goes like this, right? Someone we care about gets sick, right? It's, our, it's a parent. It's a loved one. It's, it's someone that's young. And we pray for God's healing. And we pray for God's healing. We put it on the prayer chain. We're praying for God's healing. We're praying for God's healing. He doesn't heal, and they die. And then there's always a well-intentioned Christian that says something like this. Well, it just wasn't God's will. And like I said, because of the situation, I very rarely say anything. But on the inside of me, I'm doing flips. You know why? Because when I read this book, I don't see anywhere, anywhere that it says that death is ever God's will. Ever. In fact, I see exactly the opposite. Exactly the opposite. God's number one enemy is death. Read Genesis. Chapter 1, good. Chapter 2, good. Chapter 3, sin enters the world. What's the number one consequence? Death. Spiritual death and physical death. What's the number one reason God sends His Son to the cross? To defeat death. Death is never God's will. Ever God's will. Well, then why, why did He let what's, her, what's so-and-so die? Why did He let babies die? Now, you know what? I can't. Now we're going on a little bit different issue, different angle. You know, by the way, I rarely recommend movies. But if you want to deal with that issue, you need to go see The Chef. I'm just telling you, a lot of Christian movies are pretty cheesy because they don't have the money. And, and But this message in that movie deals with that issue right there. So I'm just telling you, right? One of the things we've got to adjust our thinking to is that just because God allows something does not mean He orchestrates it. Yeah, oh, no, I know He could step in. But you, you, again, we miss the, the perspective of what He did when He created a world allowing you and allowing me to choose. And allowing that choice allowed for sin to go crazy. To go crazy. Don't, now that you know it, I'm just telling you. Now that you know it, don't say in front of me that, God, that death is God's will. Because now that you know it, if you say that, I will slap you in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Do you ever get angry when someone dies? Someone you care about? They're too young. They're too good. They're too young and they're too good. I get angry. I think being angry at death actually is, is a good thing. But when you get angry, make sure that your anger is directed to who deserves it. And it's not God. It's Satan and his number one tool, sin. That's who deserves it. This is a big deal. Big deal. Because like I said, so many of us, we, we have a loved one that passes and we struggle with so many issues right here. We struggle in our faith, not just emotionally. This is something we've got to process. Okay? The story goes on in verse 25 through 27. We read there, Jesus said to her, uh, oh, yeah, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Probably one of the most famous verses in the Bible related to salvation. This one right here. If you believe me in me, if you trust in me, if you have faith in me, you're going to live. As in eternal life. Verse 20, 27. Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into this world. Okay? Now... Uh, again, we see Martha being, being able to say, I'm upset at you, but I still trust you. This next section, you, you very quickly realize, Jesus, he's, he's preaching to the choir here. He already knows Martha believes this, right? So why is he going through this? You have to understand, when, when Jesus does so many things in the New Testament and these stories, he's not just talking to one person. He's talking to multiple groups of people, and he's going to accomplish multiple things. In this story, he's at least trying to do three things. Let me show you what I mean. Let's put it on the screen. You identify which group do you fall into. Some of you fall into the first group. What is he trying to do with the disciples? These are people 
Some of you, life's going pretty good. You're not necessarily waiting on God to do anything, right? I mean, yeah, there's things you want, and what, but you're not. it's not major, right? But what is he trying to do for them, for us? He, he's trying to intellectually or theologically stretch you. He's trying to get you ready for six months from now, two years from now, when something does happen and you are waiting. He's trying to give you a different perspective on life and death. He, he's wanting to stretch you. Yeah, I know you're not, you're not struggling right now. But there's still something you can learn and not waste the 40 minutes we're spending studying, right? Some of you fall into the second category. You're hurting. You're hurting. Maybe even just like this story, you lost a loved one recently. And it hurts. You know why God brought you here today? One of the things He wants to do is He wants to encourage you. He wants to encourage you. We're going to get to that in a minute. We're going to get to that part of the story. But some of you fall into that last category. You're not even sure what you think about God and Jesus. You know, maybe you're here because of baby dedication and we're glad you're here. You wanted to support what's whoever was up here, and that's awesome. But you know what he wants to do for you? He wants to spiritually gift you. Well, what, is, what, is, what does that mean? Well, he wants to spiritually gift the crowd because everybody's listening, they're watching. He's not just saying it for Martha's benefit, he's saying it for the crowd's benefit. He wants to gift you with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. He wants to give you that gift. Now let's think about gifts for a moment, right? Um, I, I don't know about you, but uh, you know, gifts. We give gifts at, at birthdays. We give gifts at Christmas, right? Uh, one of the things that I do in my in, in my family is every time I travel somewhere, I always try and bring some little gift, even if it's a knickknack, back for the for the kids, especially if it's something for Sandy, right? I don't know if you do that, but. This last trip to Africa, I told my daughter, Julia, I said, girl, I've been to Africa six times. I, I don't know if there's any knickknack to bring back to you, right? I already, so uh, I might not bring anything back to you. I mean, I was trying to lower the bar as low as I could, right? And if I do, it's going to be really small. I, in the, I knew I was going to bring back. I'll find something, right? So I had a, some stuff for Sandy and some stuff for Julia, and, and we opened it up when they came, they, you know, when, we, when they saw me. And, and one, one of the things I brought, I brought back for Julia is I brought back some really nice African floral scented soap that I picked up from the hotel I was staying. Every morning, you know, what I brought back for Sandy. I brought back some delicious. Kenyan tea that I picked up at the breakfast at the hotel I was staying at. They were right there. I just took them. Right? You want to know what I brought back to the staff? I haven't even given it to them yet, so I'm just telling you right now. I brought them back really nice African towels that I got. For, no, I didn't do that. <laughs> I thought about it. I actually brought back soap and tea. I brought back other stuff. But what do you think my wife, and especially Julia, did when I gave her the soap. Just think, what do you think she did, right? She's almost a teenager, so it wasn't just the eye roll, it was the head bob. Like, uh, right? She knew what I was doing, right? Now, I know I'm pushing this a little, even Sandy, she's laughed at the tea, uh, she put it down the side. Why? Why didn't they value that gift like they valued some of the other gifts that I brought. Why? Because they know it didn't cost me anything. Every morning, whether I needed it or not, there were two little soaps in my bathroom. Right? It didn't cost me anything to bring back, you know, two or three or a dozen bags of tea for Sandy. I mean, it didn't cost me anything. <laughs> Just to be clear, the gift we're talking about here the gift of, of the gospel and his son Jesus Christ, just so we're clear. The most expensive gift that's ever been paid. It cost God his son's life. Now, I'm not putting that on you to kind of whatever, guilt you. I, I, want, you to know, I want you to feel loved. That's how much he loved you. I'm telling you right now, oh, i got about 11 minutes, maybe 10 minutes left. I'm going to give you a chance at some point in time to accept that gift. If you're here today and you believe in Jesus, 
but you've never accepted Him as Lord and Savior, why not today? Because I'm telling you, if you haven't done that, that's why He brought you. That's why God wants you here today. Number one reason. Let's keep moving on. Look at how He encourages the family. And notice the emotions that Jesus has. Verse 31. In verse 31, we, we read this. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, notice how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. She's, she's, she's dealing basically with grief. She's lost somebody she cares about. Now, I just pulled out right from one of my counseling books that I have in my office, The Stages of Grief. Let me show you real quick. And we'll put them on the screen. Now, you don't have to go through all of them. Some of us go through some of them, not all of them, whatever. But, but normally, we'll go through at least a portion of these. Extreme sadness, that's what Mary and Martha are experiencing. Then there's that initial bounce back period, like, I think I'll be fine, I'll make it. And then there's avoidance and denial, like we always pretend it hasn't happened. Some of us in this room, we start to question God. Why did you do this? Why didn't you allow this? Why, so on and so forth. We question that we don't answer to those questions. If you're not careful, you go into anger and bitterness, right? Eventually, some of us, we have discouragement, depression, and despondency. Ideally, and hopefully, given enough time, we get to that last one. Recovery and stability. Now, a lot of counselors will say that if you don't go through at least a form of these, at some point in time, they may pop up down the road. You can also get to recovering stability, and here's the reality, and we all know this. You lose someone, and you start to bounce back, you start to recover, and then it seems like it all comes back on their birthday, or at Thanksgiving, or at Christmas, because you remember someone you cared about that's not with you anymore, right? So you have to just understand your normal if you're starting to go through these stages, or you've been back and forth, okay? Just understand that. In the passage itself, right, we see this. Let's put it up. Two or three times that they're comforted. Verse 19, many Jews had come to their living room to comfort them. Verse 31, Jews had been with Mary in her house comforting her. Now, this is a big deal for some of us who are, are waiting for God to kind of encourage us. Because when you're waiting on God, you need Him to encourage you and motivate you and kind of pick me up a little bit, right? How? does he do that? Let me give you four things he does. Let's put them on the screen. Number one is God's people. When you're bummed out, I'm going to tell you one of the best ways to get out of that is some of the people sitting right around you. Right? It, it's why we do small groups. It's trying to get a couple friends and, and friends do what friends do. Right? I don't know what all these Jews are doing in the house of Martha and Mary. I don't know if they're bringing casseroles or whatever. They, I mean, that may be nice, but sometimes you just need a friend to be there. To be there. So here's what I'm saying. If you're hurting, find someone you can lean on. If you're not, find someone you can support. God's people. Number two, God's Word. Psalm 119 says that God's Word is refreshing and it's encouraging and it's motivating. Please... I just want to encourage you, two chapters a day, Monday through Friday. Two chapters a day, take Saturday off, come to church on Sunday, you're going to be encouraged by God's Word. Come up with some sort of plan. But you've got to be in the Word. Number three is God's Spirit. In two or three chapters, He's going to introduce and explain to the disciples the Holy Spirit. And you know what He calls the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14? He calls Him the Counselor. Now, when he calls him the counselor, God, the Holy Spirit, he doesn't mean the counselor as in the attorney. He's talking about the counselor as in the therapist. And you know what a good therapist, a good counselor can do. They can really help you process emotion. Right? So if you're hurting, number one, God's people. Number two, God's word. Number three, God's spirit. Let's put number four up there. You want to write that down? <laughs> There's even a biblical reference for that, too, by the way. Some of you are like, is that the Old Testament? Okay. That is true, though. Isn't that true? Would you agree with me? Is that true? I'm just saying, a little chocolate will help. So, okay, let's move on. Verse, verse 33. Verse 33. Notice God's emotion. Jesus saw that Mary was weeping. The Jews had come along with her were also weeping. Jesus was deeply moved in spirit. He was troubled. Where have you laid Lazarus, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Shortest verse in the Bible, verse 35. 
Jesus wept. One of the things that is important for some of you to understand is that when you're waiting on God, it's one thing to question God's plan. It's one thing to question God's timing. But don't ever, ever question His love and concern for you. What you have here is the description of God, Jesus, who has emotion for you. He empathizes with you. You want to know the, the biggest, one of the biggest differences that people that study world religions, when they compare Christianity to Islam and Buddhism and every other world religion, you want to know one of the biggest differences? The God of the Bible has emotion. He has feelings. The God of the Bible, when you hurt, He hurts. Think about that for a moment. When you feel, He feels. Question His timing. Question His plan. That's no problem. Don't ever, ever question His concern and love for you. Don't do that. Verse 36, 37. Let's wrap it up. Verse 37. Some of them said, interesting. Some of them said, could not the man who opened the eyes of the blind. In other words, he's healing all these other people. Could not the man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man, Lazarus, from dying? One more thing I need you to write down. Here's an issue that some of us need to, to figure out. It's not whether we're going to have questions in life or pain in life. It's not whether that pain is going to lead to questions. It's not whether that, that pain leads to questions, leads to doubt. That, that's what I mean on the screen, right? Pain leads to questions, leads to doubt. That's not the issue. You were never promised a pain-free life. Get over it. The Bible never teaches that. Okay? The issue is not whether you will have pain, questions, or doubt. The issue is, will you trust God? Will you follow God in spite of your doubts? That's the question. That's the question. I was in my, I don't know what, some closet in the back room. And uh, I came across the sling that I had. You guys remember I had surgery two years ago. I had got surgery and I had the sling. And I, I found the sling. I don't, I don't always hold on to it. I threw it away. But it made me remember the, the phone call I got from the Kaiser nurse in the pre-op. So I don't know, three, four days before the operation, they call you. And, you know, she's, you know she, she, you can tell she's reading down a list. Can you confirm your address? What's your marital status? How many children do you have? What's an emergency phone number? If Sandy doesn't answer, who else do we call? Right? She's go, you can tell she's reading. And then she ends, and, and the nurse she says, well, it says here in your paperwork that generally you're in good health. It says here that uh, you're a U.S. citizen. And then she says, and it also says you have no religious Affiliation, you have no faith. <laughs> I thought I'd have a little fun with it, and I said, that's strange, because I'm a pastor, right? That's kind of strange that it would say that. And then, what I meant as a joke, she didn't take as a joke. So she responded, she said, really? You're a pastor? Uh, what, what church are you a pastor at? Right? And I was like, uh-oh, now I'm in trouble. Now I can't back out, right? What? No faith. You're a pastor. What pastor are you at church at? So I answered with full confidence, I'm a pastor at Valley Bible. Can I, <laughs> I did. <laughs> you want to know what faith is? It's right there. You want a definition of step for faith? That's as good as any other. You got questions. You've got pain. You've got doubt. Join the club. The question is, will you follow him? Will you trust him in spite of your pain? In spite of your questions? In spite of your doubts? That, my friend, is faith. And it couldn't be any more pertinent, the story we're reading. Because it is amazing to me how so many of us with a Western idea of Christianity... I obey God, He's supposed to take care of me. And then when something happens, we know death is coming for us and for every loved one we have. When something happens, oh, unfortunately, not only do we hurt emotionally, but
But so many of us chuck our faith right along with it. And it's because we haven't processed what's on the screen. What you do with your pain, what you do with your questions and doubts, that, my friend, describes your faith as good as anything else. That's the issue. And for Martha, you see it. Why weren't you here? You were late. But I still trust you. I'm still going to follow you. Here's how the story ends. Verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. What do, you, do you know what happens to a body after four days? It, start, it starts to decompose. It starts to smell. That's why she said there's a bad odor. By the way, you know what it says in the King James? It said, his body stinketh. I love that. I miss the King James. That's all. Verse 40. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you? Oh, here, watch, watch. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Remember, his, his reputation enhanced. So they, looked, they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Listen, here it comes. Think about your situation. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. He ends the same way he started. What you need to understand, he's trying to explain to Martha, is I got a big chessboard. And my goal is not just to fix your problems. My goal is to try and convince other people to follow God. That's what he's saying here. It's not just about your world. Verse 43, then he said this to Jesus, then he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus come out, the dead man came out, his hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Last thing, I'm going to wrap it up, I'm going to have Terrence and the band come up. If God always met your expectations, you'd never have a chance to exceed them. You know, I don't have time, but it's interesting a lot of the people around you can tell you stories. When I was young, I wanted this. When I was in college, I wanted to marry so-and-so. When, when, and they, they give you all these scenarios, right? This is what I wanted. And, and I didn't get it. And I was bummed out. And now, but, but 15 years later, I, I look back at what I wanted, and I realize that what God gave me now is so much better than what I wanted. And it doesn't always work that way. You can't always connect the dots. But I just want to remind you, sometimes realize that if God met all your expectations, He could never exceed them. Let's pray. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I just want you to take a moment. I want you to think through what's the one thing that God brought you here for. Maybe it's to process this idea that a waiting season is never a wasted season. That God's delay is not His denial. That He wants to do something in you before He does something for you. Maybe He wants to build your faith. To remind you that God is good and His Word is true even though life, your life is falling apart. I don't know. You figure it out. Why did God bring you here today? What did He want you to hear? For some of you, he didn't bring you to build your faith. He brought you to start your faith. I told you I would do this. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, I'm not going to have you come forward. I'm not going to have you stand up. But if you want to do that, I want you to pray this, this prayer in your heart silently to God. Dear God, I believe that your son Jesus lived a perfect life died a perfect death and he rose from the dead proving that he wasn't just a man but that he was God I believe that his death on the cross pays for my sins and this morning best that I know how not understanding everything but understanding enough to know I need Jesus today I trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior today I believe in faith that he's going to forgive me of my sins today God I give you permission to change me, 
to fix me, to mold me, to make me into whatever kind of person you want me to be. From this day forward, you're my boss. If you prayed that prayer, here's what you need to know. Whether you feel it or not, God says you're different. God says your eternity is completely changed based upon that decision you just made. And as someone who cares for you, I know this might sound weird, but I want to congratulate you for that step. Here's how we're going to wrap up. We're going to prayer. We're going to pray our decision to Christ through song. This next song, the chorus says this. When you don't move the mountains, I'm needing you to move. When you don't part the waters, I wish that I could walk through. When you don't give the answers as I cry out to you. In other words, I'm waiting, God. I'm, wait, I'm hurting and I'm waiting. But when I don't get my way, when you don't move the mountains or part the waters or give me the answers, I'm going to trust in you anyway. I'm going to trust in you anyway. Heavenly Father, that is our prayer. Even when you don't make sense to us, even though we're struggling, even when we're hurting, we trust you. Let's stand and let's sing and we'll let you go. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, exists to help everyone take their next step closer to Jesus. Thanks again for listening.